Alternative Travel Guide with comedians, well-known faces and me, your host, Vic Elizabeth Turnbull. Each episode is a brand new tour guide and a brand new trip to somewhere completely new. Come with us, get your tourist on, buckle up, enjoy your journey and do try to keep all personal items with you. tour guide for this episode is a stand-up comedian, writer, actor and award-winning comedy club owner. He's been described as a comedy genius and is a bit of a Doctor Who expert. I'm totally chuffed to bits to have this chap on Tourist Podcast. It's Toby Haydock! And we're off to get nostalgic. You know, you didn't need the internet because when you got home you were knackered and went to bed. Reminisce about the good old days. Never trust a man in a top hat. Talk about being a jet setter. I may as well have been in Wigan. (laughs) And share some pretty awesome stories about hats. It actually made the Manchester Evening News once because my hat got stolen from Excess Monarchy, my comedy club, in the early days. Somebody nicked it. We start the trip on a train to Stockport in Greater Manchester. I'm with Toby Haydoke. Hello. First of all, thank you for being a tourist. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Tickets. Oh, um, tickets. There we go. Thank you very much. I've got one somewhere. She can't find a ticket, everybody. I'm filling time like a true professional. There we are. And the podcast has been saved by us not being thrown off the train at Levenshulme. So tell us where we're going. I go to the Stockport Hat Museum. Yes. It's a completely open book to me. I have no idea what to expect. It's actually called Hatworks. It's called the Stockport Hat Works. Yeah. Hatworks is the only UK collection devoted to the hatting industry. And it takes you on a journey through the history of Stockport's once thriving industry, which at its height was exporting six million hats a year. This has been this is something my other half had been thinking about taking me to in in the way that it probably never would have happened but she, every time she's been stopped she's gone oh yeah there's the hat place Toby the Toby would like that but we would never have done it so then when you asked me to do this and I was chatting I said I, I'm not a very imaginative person I, and I go, oh god where could we go and she said why don't you go there so I don't know what to expect I mean, it could be like it's got all the hats but I shouldn't think it's got all the hats. I don't even know what the building looks like. So you, you must have seen the iconic chimney when you come in to Stockport on the train that says hat works on it. I don't think I'm very observant. No, come on, it's iconic. I might have seen a chimney, but I didn't I didn't know it was associated with the hat box. No, you'll see, you'll be like, see oh, that's a sign of this modern age. We do train journeys, and, we, uh, and what I do with a train journey is I panic if I don't come out with at least two things to read or a podcast to listen to. And it means one doesn't take in one's surroundings, and I think that is 
why we are going to hell in a handcart. And do you know what? On the way to hell, we won't notice any of the scenery because we'll be looking at our iPhones. <laughs> we quickly get onto the subject of Toby doing a lot of stuff. He's always up to something. But he doesn't really see it that way. You, you, you're a very busy man. Well, apparently so. I think I'm very lazy and spend whole days not doing anything. Well, I, I went on your website yesterday and I was just like, I just kept scrolling. Yeah, but I mean, I'm very old. I mean, <laughs> you get to a certain point where you've to have done lots because you're still alive. This is a good point, actually, yeah. You know, in relation to your age then, you've done, you've done not very much. I've done nothing. No. <laughs> Do you get a chance to be a tourist? It's, it's interesting. I didn't know my dad very well, but my mum tells stories of, of when we used to go on holiday as kids and the four of us, and we'd all be on the beach and he'd be in his car reading a book. And I can sort of, I, I understand that I, holidays stress me out a bit. The travel and the packing and the, and, I, and I'm not very good with things I'm not familiar with. And that's not because I'm not curious. I have an appetite for knowledge and, and I think it's important to have new experiences. When it comes to the practicality of it, I'm not very good at asking for directions or for things in shops. I'm not, I'm not very good at things I'm not used to. So I'm quite cowardly in that regard. So this is why I, I leapt at the charts to do this, because there's an element of, oh, well, I'm, I'm doing a thing with somebody, for somebody, whatever. So therefore I can then nobble off that thing because I overcome my cowardice or laziness. That said, whenever I go on, on holiday or abroad, I, I, I do make sure I go to the museums. And I went, was in Copenhagen recently and we went to the museum there. I do try, but it's out of a sense of... I think one should. Do you ever go off the beaten track then, or do you always go to... I like wish the... I could say I was... I do so admire those people who just sort of land in a place and find their own way. People say, yeah, you just go around down the street and you find this uh, this funny little restaurant that, you know, you have to ring a bell and ask for Peter. And you go, oh, I'd love to do that, but I, I... No, I need to go in somewhere where they'll get over the fact that my mastery of the local language isn't very good and they'll be very kind and speak to me in English and and, 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 and I'll and I'll order the thing that even though I'm you know I'm interested in food and things like that it's, it's social nervousness I think is extremely constraining mm, mm, I went to Spain once on my own for work and all I ate was ham sandwiches because I was too scared to speak Spanish or attempt to speak Spanish as I say, I'm such, such a nervous traveller. I'm geographically blind, deaf and dumb. You know, I didn't even notice the chimney. I'm, I've got a terrible sense of direction. If I can look on Google Maps and I can come out of a building and if I'm not sure which way it's pointing, I'll weigh it up and I can, you can bet I will go the wrong way. I've never driven, so I, you know, I couldn't point to Ipswich on a map. I know what I know. There's an I, Leicester. I, show me a map. I, I've been there. Because I go by train, I think I have no sense of where I'm headed. Toby's a self-confessed nervous traveller, but it doesn't seem that his son is actually following in his footsteps. Like the time they all went to Copenhagen recently and his boy had his heart set on an unusual tourist spot. And he talked of this place called Christiansburg, which is this unofficial part of Copenhagen. Ooh. It's a town that sprung up, it's an old military base, and it's sort of declared independence. And my son really wanted to go there. He's 18, which is terrifying. And so we went there and there's sort of people selling dope on the streets and there's graffiti and it's, it's this sort of commune. And my son said, Dad, can I, um, can I wander about on my own for an hour? And, and I went, well, all right, because I didn't really like it anyway. And uh, me and my other half went to have a cup of tea. And then he sort of texted and went, can I, can I be a bit longer? And we went, all right, just text us when you're done. And we saw him about you know five hours later. I was really impressed because he's quite nervous about certain things like me but I was really impressed that he'd gone no I want to shake off 
the grown-ups. I'm really interested in this place, but I want to... F- and it wasn't that uh, the listener might be thinking, oh, was he going off to smoke some <laughs> wacky-backy? No, he wasn't. Um, uh, and I would have known. And I said, so what, what did you do? He said, oh, well, I sat next to this bloke who was from Somalia and we got talking and he was... Uh, and I was so proud because he was doing stuff that I would never, never have the balls to do. And he was doing it the right way, which was he was discovering it for himself. Toby sounds as proud as punch of his boy. And I wondered if this has inspired Toby to get a little bit more adventurous on his travels. It's probably too late now. I'm probably too much of a stiff to be able to just land somewhere and find it. And I think that's sad. Yeah, oh, it's not too late. Oh, how terrible. (laughs) Right, we're approaching Stockport now. I want you to look out that window. Yes. I think it's that window. And you'll see Stockport, the, the hat works. The hat works. Chimney. Well, and we're just going past the travel lodge. As soon as uh, you see it, oh, there you yeah. go, look. You've oh, yes. Yeah, no, I know that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you do I've that. seen that millions of times. <laughs> it's just not registered. Right, let's get off the train and right. go. And just like that, we arrive in Stockport, home to 40 nature reserves, 380 listed buildings, the Blossoms, Yvette Fielding, Tess Daly, and in the 19th century, the centre of the UK's hatting industry. Hatting industry. The UK's hatting industry. I have a real problem saying hatting. We put my T's in it, hatting, hat. Throughout this narration, you will hear me being very Yorkshire and not putting my T's in hat, hat. I'm going to wear my hat today. See, it doesn't come natural. I can't do it. Apologies in advance <laughs> for my northernness. We travelled on train to Stockport from Manchester Piccadilly. The average journey takes about 14 minutes and you can also get here on regular trains from the south, East Midlands, Yorkshire and Wales. And the city also has a huge bus and coach station, making Stockport very well connected indeed. We leave the train station and start our little walk to Hatworks, which is just six minutes away. Do you come to Stockport very often? Uh, now and again, yeah. I'm sure I've gigged here quite a lot. I, I recognise this, uh, the outside of the train station, but they have, they've tarted it up a bit. And I think last time I was here, there was a bit more scaffolding over there because it took me about 15 minutes to get out because I was looking on Google Maps <laughs> and it was jumping all over the place. A couple of weeks ago, I did actually venture into Stockport Town Centre and had a bloody great afternoon. So I've, I've been here a lot and it must just be for gigs. You travel so much as a comic. That, now, that's a real thing of going to places and not going to places. Yeah. You know, which is, I've, been, I've done a Doctor Who convention in Los Angeles and not left the grounds of the hotel. Are you are too, why not? <laughs> I mean, they're quite concentrated, those things. I was doing a show and, you know, the show is an hour long and I was there for about two days and that combined with seeing people there and doing the show and ha- and it. having jet yes. lag but you do go this is a long I'm, i may as well have been in wigan <laughs> for, for, for all that i saw of los angeles yeah. to be fair we continue to walk to hatworks through stockport and i was thinking about what toby said on the train about being a nervous traveler and not having the balls to go off the beaten track if you're a bit of an iffy traveler museums are really 
the chicken korma of tourist destinations, aren't they? Like, it's not quite the omelette and chips of the hotel room, but it's not quite the vindaloo of an underground strip joint. How adventurous are you on holiday on a scale of omelette and chip zero to a vindaloo 10? Tell us, tweet us, leave us a Facebook message at Tourist Podcast. It's the perfect thing for somebody that does have curiosity but also isn't very good at finding his way your way around places to say well at least i've done the museum it's it it staves off the guilt as well yeah yeah it's sort of an all-encompassing tick box i think it's it's a nod to the fact that i i I perhaps wish i was better at finding out about things but at least i've at least i've had a go it's like it's like when you you know you buy some low-fat beans whilst you're eating a fry up you go well i've i've sort of i've acknowledged the fact i shouldn't really be doing this it's a diet cake with a big mac meal yeah exactly so yeah we're all guilty of that any favourite museums? I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bit of a geek. I do like a good museum. I like, I like, the, I like an odd museum. So there's um, a hologram museum in Matlock Baths. That, um, that's probably my favourite museum I've been to. <laughs> okay, a hologram. I, t- I tell you what, I used to do with my son quite a lot. Was I rather like the Museum of Science and Technology in Manchester? Yeah. Because when you're a parent with a child and you want to do something that isn't sitting around the house that will distract them and that you know and that is free and that there is plenty to do i used to go there quite a lot they'd also have special exhibitions so they had a doctor who exhibition there once which i'm pleased to say i was allowed in for free because the man that the man <laughs> on the door recognized me for my various doctor who exploits uh, so i was allowed in for free it was the only time in front of my children i've ever felt important now the place toby's on about was called the Museum of Science and Industry and is now called the Science and Industry Museum. Hmm. But it's a top afternoon out in Manchester. It's got planes, engines, computing. Has being like this Doctor Who expert got you anywhere else? Like free or free dinner or? Sometimes people will buy me a drink. Oh, that's um, good. Yeah, I mean it's 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 changed my working life completely. But I wouldn't say it necessarily opens opens doors to social situations. I remember once I'd just finished my gigs for the year and there's always a relief when you've done that last Christmas gig especially if you've escaped unscathed and I was just walking back to my other half's flat and it was snowing and a police car pulled up oh. and because it was winter I'd got, I've got a long Doctor Who scarf and I thought oh, who cares I'm going to wear a Doctor Who scarf and police car pulled up and this policeman got out and went excuse me and I went what, what <gasps> have I done and you immediately feel terribly guilty he said uh, oh yeah can I just say I really like the work you do on the Doctor Who DVDs OMG <laughs> no way <laughs> Be, it would be pleasant, but I'd be. It would still be a surprise if somebody sidled up to me in Forbidden Planet. Yeah. But yeah. but a police car. Yeah. So. <laughs> did you feel fantastic? I loved it. Yeah. I was. It was very because somebody had taken the trouble to say something else. But also because I, I don't equate being a policeman with being a Doctor Who fan. So yeah. it was. It was the fact that it was so surprising. <laughs> that was so cool and random. I love it. Have you amassed anything, a collection as big as to warrant a museum? Now, this is interesting because I know proper collectors. Again, I sort of have that desire, but I don't have the meticulousness. And I think you have to commit either one way or the other. You know, so I know people have got every single Doctor Who annual. I haven't got every single Doctor Who annual because there's two or three really rare ones that are really expensive. So you go, is it really worth spending 100 quid on something just for it to sit on the shelf and then be thrown away when I die and my, my kids don't know what to do with it? 
So I have some stuff. I have a Martian from Quatermass and the Pit. I have more TARDISes in my house than is normal. This doesn't occur to me until people come to my house and go, how many TARDISes have you got? <laughs> it's a perfectly normal number. Our house is a bit like a museum in a way yeah. because my other half is disabled and so we have a lift and one of her friends came round and it, the plan had always been to pimp it up a bit. Her friend said... Uh, that looks just like a TARDIS and she went oh no, oh, no. so we, we paid a guy a guy we know to turn the lift into a TARDIS <laughs> which is very generous of her because it's her lift I don't use it just you know the half clutch anyway. she's got a load of Jackie comics that um, she's never thrown away that she's going to do the inside of the lift with because I had a load of Eagle comics because I got Eagle as a kid and I've dragged them from house to house to house to house because I know when I was younger the Eagle from the olden days were worth quite a lot of money and you know you look on eBay and like 100 go for 5 dollars and you go ah and I said to her I said I don't know what to do because I don't want to chuck these away now but I'll never look at them and the first thing that will happen when I die is the kids will throw them away and she said why don't you use them to decorate the cupboard under the stairs because then you're using them you're not chucking them and and so actually that our cupboard under the stairs looks fantastic because the wallpaper is genuine old covers from Eagle Comics was a little bit of you like but if I move, then I'm going to have to leave them. Part of me was like, this is a shame to be taking these apart and breaking them. Yeah. But they've been in boxes untouched for 20 years. But I still feel that I don't like giving books to Oxfam because there's something wrong with getting rid of books. I'm very sentimental about I don't throw things away. Could you slip into being a bit of a hoarder? Massively. Yeah. I, do, I feel emotionally attached to a plastic measuring jug that we had when we were growing up. I'm very nostalgic and I get very sentimental. I like the fact people preserve things from the past. Yeah. And I do, I've got, I've got things that are half broken but I can't quite bring myself to throw away. I get this so much. Yeah, I've got, I've got like a cupboard full of scrapbooks where it's like every gig ticket, cinema ticket. Yeah. All with notes on. Yeah, yeah I understand that. I've got boxes, I've got empty scrapbooks and boxes of stuff to go in the scrapbooks. And when, when I've probably got a deadline for a novel or something, I'll go, but first I will do yeah. my scrapbooks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh God, we're weird. We arrive at the Hat Museum right on the dead busy road through Stockport. It's an aeroplane going directly overhead. Oh, yeah. So to that. It's massive. We're on the flight path, aren't we? We're genuinely shocked to see the museum's window display of hats. I'm good. Nice hats a, in the window, well, Some bubble hats in the window. I wasn't expecting, yeah. Some short films with people who've worked in the industry telling their story. The museum's got spinny doors, which is just amazing. And in the entrance is a really great looking museum gift shop full of hats. And to the right is reception where the lovely Fiona welcomes us. Along what's called the Bow Garret, and that's the very early days of the hatting industry, the pre industrial section. And then As Fiona explains, there's two floors of hat goodness here at Hatworks. So do give yourself a few hours to get round it all. We decide to start at the bottom and work our way up. We're stood on the ground level of Hatworks and this bit is dedicated to the hatting industry. All around is this huge metal machinery, much like they would have used in the Victorian times. The air has that metally, industrially smell to it. 
I mean, some of this work was really hard because we can romanticise it because, of course, we didn't have to do it. And we can lament the fact that there was, you know, great craftsmanship. Stuff was built to last because people didn't have money. So if you bought something, you needed it to last you for 20 years. Do you know what I mean? Now, if, if I buy a hat and it falls to bits or I lose it, I can, I can buy another one with not, with not crying too many tears. Quite extraordinary. You can imagine like the noise and the smell and how hot it would have been. And God, incredible. We can see these big sort of pumping sinews of metal here that would have given off a hell of a lot of heat and would have... Uh, it's quite a dangerous business as well. Well, yeah, you wouldn't get one if you got your arm trapped in a piece of machinery. Or I remember my mum used to work in a... Uh, she was the nurse at a chicken factory, you know. She was always... And the reason they had to have a nurse there all the time was because people were always chopping their fingers off or, oh, wow. or getting their arms caught in things. What a, what a good job title. <laughs> yes, yeah, not a chicken factory where they made chickens to the modern listener. <laughs> it's where they hang them upside down and chop their heads off. We walk to the other end of the room where a TV screen is showing a film with lots of rabbits and lots of rabbits without their fur. So the felt came from rabbits. So it was fur felt, not wool felt. I know. This is good. I didn't know this, you see. So a lot of rabbits coming through hat factories. (laughs) So you'd have a rabbit on your head. Now that's interesting because that would be very contrary. And it wasn't just the machinery that made this hat making business. A little bit dangerous. Have you heard the term mad as a hatter? Yes, I have. So it comes from hat makers. So because they dealt with a lot of mercury, yeah. hat makers, they, they went them. crazy. So the mad hatter isn't just Lewis Carroll's no. uh, imagination. There's something to do with mercury with the pelt, the, the, the fur. But that's where mad as a hatter comes from. Yeah, How interesting. Because they went bonkers. You can bet your bottom dollar that your grandparents or even your parents toiled away in a factory making stuff that we probably don't use so much anymore. Your grandparents were makers. Yes, my granddad was a... He left school at, at... Well, we don't even know that he went to school. He didn't talk about his past much at all. He, but he was definitely one of 13 children, not of all of whom made it into adulthood. And he was a printer. And he had a printing press in his shed. Certainly, I remember that. Or that metal smell. And I was yeah. like, and he was meticulous. And, you know, a man who grew up with nothing, but who took real pride in his work. My grandmother was the, was the one who was sort of in charge because she had a shop. Right. She, she had a wool shop and she used to give wool to the Greenham Common women because most of the Greenham Common women weren't allowed in any of the shops. And what they used to do was they'd, they'd knit, but they'd also tie their banners on or their protests. They'd decorate the fences of Greenham Common with bits of wool. Or, and, and when they went, they actually chopped a bit of the fence off uh, and gave it to my grandmother. Wow. So we've actually somewhere in my mum's house got a bit of the Greenham Common fence with a note from the Greenham women saying, thanks very much for giving us all the wool. <laughs> Yeah, I forgot so, about that. That's so interesting. We move across to the hat blocking section. So basically every hat starts off with a hat block and someone needed to make that hat block. So this bit is an actual recreation using all the real fittings and tools and fixtures of the last hat block makers in the north of England that closed in the 70s. In 1976, the last hat block workshop in the north closed down. So I would think that's not a very long time ago. Then I remember how old I am. So do you think it's weird? So I went to a museum a couple of years ago. It's a TV museum in Bradford. Yeah. And there was stuff in there that I had when I was 14, 15. Yes, that's... Like flip phones and games consoles. And I thought, hang on a minute. Yeah, it's retro now. Yeah, and it just made me feel a bit sick. 
and I was listening to a song came on the radio the other day let's get this party started by Pink, Pink. and I thought well this is a modern song and then Paul Gambaccini went and we're going back to 2006 or something like that and I went um, no no oh. if he'd said 2015 I might have you get these lists don't you on the internet like if you were born before uh, 2006 you won't get this joke or whatever you won't get and it's like I, I d I'm getting older. Well, I remember turning a corner with that when I, d I did a gig with the fantastic Tony Burgess and he mentioned Orville and it was a Freshers' Week gig and, and, it, got, <laughs> and it got nothing. And we looked around and Roger Monkhouse was the other comic and, and we just went, they haven't got a clue who he's talking about, have they? Uh, because that reference is, you know, in the ether mm -hmm. now. It's ancient history. Yeah, yeah I, did a, I did a school's careers talk a couple of months ago and talking about, like, the bands I've interviewed. And I'm like, so who's, who's the best band you've interviewed? I said, the Buzzcocks. And they went, right, OK. <gasps> and I was like, oh, God. But, that's it. but the thing is, when I was young... I knew who Buddy Holly was, yeah. or, the, or the Searchers, or, you know, I, I don't know why I picked the Searchers, I don't know, or the Eagles, or, <laughs> you know, but there's a current trend at the moment where if it, if it, if it was before you, it's somehow, it's somehow less than you, and when we look back on things and we judge things culturally by our own cultural standards, an article in The Guardian the other day saying, oh, it's a good job Doctor Who's uh, not racist anymore, and you go, hang on, Doctor Who is never racist, and, and there's a real danger, I think, of us, of us rejecting the past rather loftily because actually I think we've got a lot we could learn from the past and I think we're, we're quite arrogant at the moment in that we think we know it all and we don't. Do you know what to solve it? Uh, hats. People come to mommy who see him. It's interesting because I thought when we were coming here I thought you know we'll see lots of different hats. It hadn't occurred to me that, that we'd get a sort of insight into the sh you know because we are romanticising a little bit about the good old days where everybody wore a hat but um, this sort of work would terrify in people of my generation, you know, because it was real hard, yeah. really badly paid, really hard, long, physical. You know, you didn't need the internet because when you got home, you were knackered and went to bed. As me and Toby make our way to the exit of this industrial bit, we bump into Sam, a tour guide here at Hatworks. Hi. Hi. Hello. You're right. Yeah, I'm good. If you've got any questions, uh, yeah, feel free to ask. I want to ask Sam all the hat questions. What's your favourite hat? My favourite hat. In the world. In the world, yeah. Your hat. Mine's, mine's a, a simple flat cap. I've only started wearing a flat cap very recently, but I, I quite like the flat going cap. Going back into fashion? They are, aren't Lots they? Lots of young people I, wearing. I don't follow trends, I set them. I put the flat cap down to Peaky Blinders. I think well, it's Peaky yeah, Blinders. Yeah. I, I'm pleased to say I got mine before Peaky Blinders. It's like when I used to listen to The Doors and everybody at school went, what's that 60s music? And then The Doors film came out and everybody wanted to borrow my Doors albums. I was there first. I may never quite be in trend, but I'm sometimes before it. So do you wear hats now, or have you gone off it? I'm shamefully not a huge hat wearer. Well, it's like people who work in an ice cream factory, isn't it? They, they, they've got all the ice cream they could possibly want, so they don't eat ice cream. Well, that's what they used to do in like, chocolate factories, didn't they? Yeah. When you first started, they said, you can eat as much chocolate as you want, and then, you know, after a couple of weeks, you, you, know, you don't touch the chocolate again. You know, I've got a, I've got a baker boy. Yeah, they don't really, I've got big ears, and it doesn't really suit me. I don't think people were worried about suiting them in, in back in the day, were they? They were just like, it's a hat. It's a hat. Yeah. yeah. Why you wear a hat. Well, yeah. nowadays, you know, you kind of notice that someone's, you know, walking down the street with a trilby or, or, or a bowler hat, you notice it. But, you know, if you were 
you know, back in the day, you'd, you'd be noticed if you weren't wearing a hat. And I think particularly a bowler hat. I wouldn't bat an eyelid at somebody wearing a trill. A bowler hat seems a step, one step beyond. Or a top hat. Yeah, they're, they're both a bit of a statement. And a top hat, I think if I saw somebody in a top hat, I'd think, oh, they're a bit of a show-off, you know. <laughs> Whereas I think if somebody saw me in a trilby and thought I was a bit of a show-off, I think they're an idiot. Never trust a man in a top hat. Never trust a man in a top hat. If there's one thing we've taken out of today, it's never trust a man in a top hat. Although I, f I hate myself for saying that, because why shouldn't somebody wear a top hat? Never trust a person in a top hat. On that note, I think we need more hats. Well, it's been nice talking to you. Thanks, Sam. We've learned a lot about hats. Is there more hats down there? Uh, that is a fire exit. All right, well, so where do we go for more hats? Um, well, you Turns out we'd missed a whole chunk of the ground floor bit, the pre-industrial bit. Basically, hat making without those big throbbing machines. The processes before industrialization, the industry, you know, done for hundreds and hundreds of years. And Sam's come with us to show us around what's called a garret, much like a, an outhouse or, or a shed. Are you taking hat studies at university? Um, no, but you know, some people do say that after a talk, you've got, got a PhD in Hatton. Um, I'm like, nope. So did you learn it all on the job or did you, did, you, did you have to have a certain hat knowledge to get the job? I had no hat knowledge beforehand. I knew nothing about hats and now I'm a hatting expert. I love that. Skills. Yeah, skills. Yeah, these are just all the processes that they would have done um, you know, back in the day. He so. bends down and picks up a pelt of fur from a box. Oh, is that real? That's, that's real. Do you know what animal that is? Sam's holding a, a ferret. Is, is it an otter? Beaver. Beaver, yeah. Beaver. Oh, beaver. <laughs> I bet you've had so many jokes. <laughs> so Sam, Sam's holding a beaver. Justin. Justin the beaver? Justin Beaver, yeah. Oh, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, they start off with, a, with an animal like this and, you know, the first job. Sam tells us about the role of a furrier who picks the soft fur from these poor little animals like the beaver. Oh, yeah. And then oh, yeah. this really nice, soft, fine fur. My cat, like, has that sort of stuff. Yeah. You know? And as a fine example that the human race has always been assholes, as fashions became popular, so did the fur of certain animals. Then, you know, beavers hunted to, you know, to no extinction, uh, so they needed to find other animals. Because of hats? Partly, yeah. Um, with the big fur trade, there's a big fur trade with North America. And presumably, I mean, it would have to be treated to get rid of all the uh, sort of, all the bacteria and... Well, yeah, and... Was, you know, we might use something like this. Called bow so like Sam shows us a huge bow that was used to separate the fur. It looks like a massive wooden violin bow. So this cleaned the fur and helped break it up into bits to then turn it into felt. That's extremely clever. It's so bloody fascinating. Like, like who discovered this? Someone was sat in their shed one day with a beaver and a bow and was like, I could totally make this into a hat. As we walk a little bit further on in the garret, we come to a dummy of a man bowing his fur. Oh, that's him. Oh, hello, Jim. So he's right. Sam and Toby talk hats, and, and I can't stop looking at this museum dummy. Freak me out. This is no way in, in like to do with hats, but museum dummies scare the absolute bejesus out of me. When you turn it off at the end of the night. You know, you've got to walk. And he, like, blinks. Yeah, it's a bit creepy. Yeah, my mum, we used to go museums as a kid. She, she's probably done stuff to me, my mum, mentally. Used to say they come alive at night. Mm. 
Yeah, they're terrifying, aren't they? God, that's child abuse. Get in trouble for that now. Yeah, he is pretty I can imagine when we walk away, his, his head just turns. <laughs> oh, no, I don't, to, I don't want to turn my back on him now. Do you, you... Do you run a museum? Do you work in a museum? Do you make these horrible, scary things? If you've got any horror stories about museum dummies, contact us at Tories Podcast on both Facebook and Twitter. But it was a really long process, so it took about four to five hours just to shrink one hood down to size. Um, so it's very labour-intensive. I'm, I'm surprised how labour-intensive hat-making was. Yes, it feels slightly guilty now, doesn't it? If all that goes into something I've left on a bus. I've, I've been through many hats. I've had a couple of hats stolen. My first hat that, that you've actually got one of upstairs. It's yeah. a, it's a it's a burgundy pork pie one yeah. that you've got upstairs. I was in a charity shop with a friend of mine, Polly, and, and, and there was this hat like that for a tenner. She went, "Oh, that'd suit you, Toby." I think I'd gone in to buy a, a, a jacket for a wedding, and I bought this pork pie hat and was inseparable from it. And it was at Excess Monarchy, my comedy club in the early days. Somebody nicked it, and I don't know, probably stuck it on a traffic cone. And I treasured that hat, and that's when I then had a series of hats and, you know, kept up hats ever since. It actually made the Manchester Evening News once because my hat got stolen from ex- excess malarkey and I was really annoyed about it because we'd saw, we saw the guy make off with it. But it turns out he'd actually done it as a jape and he took photographs of the hat at various different Manchester locations and sent them to us and then returned the hat. But I was in a dark place, so I, I'd not taken it in the spirit that it was intended and I'd, and I'd Got, and I was very angry. And I, I now applaud the guy for having you know, done something in the spirit of japery. I felt slightly guilty that I'd been po-faced about it. Well, it's because of that first hat, my first hat, that I don't know who the perpetrator was. If they stole it and they wear it and they love it, I suppose I can live with that. But I suspect they just... I, I was going to ask you what your a, a good hat story, and I think we've, we've covered it. <laughs> I get a little feeling that the Hat Museum was the perfect place to bring Toby. Not only does he wear hats, he loves hats, he's got great hat stories, and of course, a good Doctor Who hat story. I once did a, a Doctor Who audio adventure with Tom Baker, and we were all in the studio recording our bits, and I came back first, and Tom. <laughs> Tom Baker was standing there laughing to himself, just amusing himself, throwing coins into my hat that was on the floor. <laughs> and I went, I'm so sorry. I just, and, I, and I then didn't know what to do because there was about two and a half quid in there. And I knew that he was just doing it to have fun and he was amusing himself because that's what Tom Baker was like. But part of me is going, but I would never throw this money away because it's been Doctor Who's money. And I'm sure Tom could spare £2.50. But at the end of the day, I had to go to, oh, Tom, do you want your tuba? Oh, thank you very much. Part of me was like, I bet he'd have been fine if I'd taken it. And I could have gone, that's Tom Baker's £2.50. But uh, but I gave it back. He could have really framed that 2p as Doctor Who's money. I bet Toby's got some well good things in frames. The weirdest thing I have in a frame. Oh, I'll tell you what, we've got we've got a panic button in a frame. Cherilee, my other half, has a frame with just a red button that says panic. That was what I was saying just before we came in that we did with the house. We wanted it to be an interesting house for people to come to that people would, even if they just left with a smile on their face. I think we should do a tourist episode inside Toby's house. What do you think? Now, we've been here for a while now and we're still on the ground floor. We're still in the process of making hats, but we've not seen an, an actual hat yet. Sam, do you want to look at the hats? Yeah. <laughs> 
where's the freaking hat? We've, we've held off, haven't we? We've been very good. No, I don't. There's a floor of hats upstairs. Is there? I'd yet to try them on and stuff. Uh, there's some hats to try on, yeah. You're allowed to touch, gosh. You're allowed to touch the hats. You're allowed to touch, I wasn't expecting that. Hat touching? No, I thought they'd all be behind, behind glass, like the panic button. You are listening to Tories Podcast, an alternative Tories guide with the funniest people on the planet. And me, Vic Elizabeth Turnbull. Thank, Thank you very you, much. Sam. Thank you, Sam. Cheers. Cheers. We walk up a flight of stairs and we're on the first floor of the museum, aka Hat Floor. And it really is a gallery of hats, all different ones in so many cabinets. Like the first one we come to has some gorgeous ones in there. You know, the ones that you'd see on ladies at the races. When I was learning about this, because I like to do a lot of research for the Tories podcast because I like to keep you, the listener, informed. So, millinery. It's more the lady side of shit. Oh, is it? And hat making is like everything. Oh. So millinery is more this, what what we're looking at now. There's a lettuce cauliflower. It's a cauliflower hat. How extraordinary. By Deirdre Hawken. It's beaded with glass beads, hand-dyed silk leaves and quills on a block base. That's from 2005. And it, it literally looks like a, a, a miniature cauliflower. <laughs> oh, look at that. And there's a, a fruit salad. A pavlova, a patisserie. A miniature hat because with glass and plastic beads on a form of synthetic silk base. I prefer a bit more abstraction in my design. That's, I mean, they're quite literally, that looks like a pavlova. Oh, look at that gorgeous one from 1950. It's a cocktail hat. Oh, you don't do this anymore. When I go out, I don't like, oh, I've got to wear a cocktail dress and a, co- and a hat. I mean, this refinery and oh, just, I'm just, I, I'm yearning for this to come back. Really yes, are. well, it's why I've, I've, I've started wearing a tie. I wear a tie all the time now, just because I, I feel it's nice to make the effort. I don't wear waistcoats anymore. I used to wear waistcoats quite a lot, but I, uh, I do like a short-sleeved cardigan. Uh, a short-sleeved cardigan? <laughs> yeah, so, so this, this is a cardigan with... This is like... It's like a tank top. Oh, it's a tank top. Uh, Sorry, but, yes, but, OK. But, but I always wear a jacket, so you don't get the tank top oh. effect, but it means I'm not... I don't get overheated. No. But I am, but I am snug round the mid. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm insulated round the midriff. I call it like a waist furry waistcoat. A furry, I like furry waistcoat. <laughs> I'll take furry waistcoat. Toby's sporting a lovely furry <laughs> waistcoat today. Yes, if I'm, it's sad. I'm not quite tall enough to pull off hats as well as I'd like to be. In fact, all the clothes I like, I don't think I'm quite tall enough to mm. quite pull off. My my brother's only a little bit taller than me, but he's got much better posture, and he always looks very well turned out as I shuffle along and look like I've spent the night in a hedge posture does everything for you we shuffle along to hat train on bit and like the big kids we are we get a bit carried away right which one are you going to go for first oh it's the cat in the hat oh, look at that I like that that's great <laughs> oh looks like a deflated souffle though when you uh... is there health and safety around this people with dirty hats I suspect the authorities turn a blind eye yeah <laughs> Beyond the hat trying on bit is so many more hats. Some grouped together in themes like religious hats. There's hats from different countries. Basically, there's a lot of oohs and whoa and oh, look at that coming from me and Toby right now, which is pretty useless for a podcast. So get ready for a montage, including Tori's podcast's third mention of Abraham Lincoln in just six episodes. How weird is that? Hashtag Abe. 
Oh my god, more hats than the I can see. Wow, look at that rabbit fur, Angora. I think you'd have to be pretty stylish to carry that one mm. off. And that's like a that's another sort of furry one, isn't it? Feathers, osprey. Well, this is a ginormous hat. I mean, you'd look like an enormous toadstool. What, and the, ooh, look at this. Is that Mao Tse Tung? Is that that? There's a Malaysian one there. Which it? is the best of them because it's like a big decorated plate. Straw hats are universal, aren't they? Everyone, every country's got its version of a straw hat. Yes. Ours are mostly worn by Morris dancers, but... That's the American top hat. Uncle Sam's. Yeah. It's known as an Abraham Lincoln. But, but with, the, with the stars and stripes on it. I don't think an English person could get away with a Stetson. You need a, 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 a balcony and, a, and a, perhaps a swinging chair, you know, and a, perhaps a shotgun on your lap and a, and a distaste for anything that happened after 1920, <laughs> <laughs> especially if it involved black people. We walk past a stunning Native American headdress. You, you know the ones with all the feathers and decoration? It's, it's, it's like I'm thinking, where are all the other village people? Uh, <laughs> you know, oh, there's a fireman. Um, was there a fireman? No, the builder. There was the, the, there, was, there was the leather biker, wasn't there? Oh, yeah. Was, yes. Um, <laughs> the village, but bless them. We, we forget about the hats that are a key part of uniforms. The stewardesses wear hats, don't they? Do they wear... Stuart, not so much anymore, little pillar box ones yeah. and circus people. What do you call them? Ringleaders and... I was going to say ringmaster, but that's very, that's very gender specific, isn't it? And I wonder if the circuses have, have become woke and now you have to have a ringleader that's... Uh... I think circuses are the least woke places <laughs> on earth. Yes, we're non-gender specific, but we still make polar bears dance. <laughs> I do like a Biggles helmet. Look at that. Yes. There's something about those that I think it's part of the fiction of it as well. But leather, there's always something rather appealing about leather, I have to say. Uh, I should perhaps not go there. I frightened myself when I said that. It's all coming out now. It's a good interview that can get you to start... To, to, to say things out loud that you never even knew were there bubbling beneath the surface. I do like it. And in a cabinet towards the back of the gallery of hats we come across a collection of really small hats and wonder, who could they be for? Uh, these are tiny hats. These are like bonsai hats. Little miniature hats for dolls, I'd say, or for babies. Oh, I would like to see a baby in a top hat. I'd love to see a baby. Now, that would be pretty cool. Oh, there's a board there. So demonstration pieces. Oh. oh. So you're not using too much material, but giving an example of the hat. The hat that you that could you, have. You could have. Mm. Do you remember that guy, Vern Troyer? He, he would perhaps be able to go around and go, if you don't need these anymore, I can have a whole load of hats because well, he would be the soul. only person that they would fit. <laughs> Again, this place really does get you thinking about hats. Next is a display of celebrity hats. Well, I say celebrity in the loosest term. It's quite an eclectic bunch of um, celebrity hats we've got here. <laughs> Prunella Scales via Fred Dibner, Ainsley Harriet, Danny Minogue, Robson Green, uh, Alexi Sale and Dame Judi Dench. I mean, that'd be a line-up for I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here, wouldn't it? I, I mean, <coughs> I think some of them have already been in it, but I'd pay. I'd pay good money to see that. <laughs> and to the side of that... Because they couldn't fit every single famous person's hat in that cabinet, there's a huge list. It's massive. It's about as tall as me. And it's got every famous hat wearer you could possibly think of. It's interesting how they wrote to put people together. So, Boy George is next to... Malcolm X. 
Boy George and Malcolm X. Now that would be an I'm a celebrity, <laughs> get me out of here. Doctor Who, uh, DR Who as well, which would some Doctor Who fans, that wouldn't be enough to make oh, them really? walk from the building. Yeah. That would have spoiled things right now and then they would have left. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow. Or gone on some sort of spree, you know. <laughs> Mr. Potato Head. That is, I like that edition. I like That's that edition. This is a good list. It goes Che Guevara, Frank Spencer, Fidel <laughs> Castro. I love that. We're nearly at the end of the huge gallery of hats and there's a lot of hattage to take in. When we leave here, we'll be thinking about all the people, like we'll be thinking about, I'll be, I'll be thinking about hats for a good couple of hours after this. Yes. Well, now, and I think you see, because you sort of take things in your stride, it's only when you boil them down to their provenance or their, their, the basics of them that you, you look at them in a, in a slightly different light. Absolutely. I always come out of a museum feeling feeling like I've learned stuff and I feel really good. Like, I don't know. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that. I don't know if I feel sad that it's... I don't, I don't know if I... Sometimes I leave museums feeling sad that this is not how it is anymore. Or that this this is not a thing anymore. I get the same thing when I walk, walk past butchers. Like, it's a weird thing I get. No, I understand that, 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 that people... Because there's a dedication to artisanship. There, there, I'm not a meat eater, but, there, uh, but I, I know what you mean about the butchers in that these are people that know the product that they're doing. They, they are experts in it. I admire anybody that's got a passion about anything, even if that, and especially if it's sort of part of their, their job, that if your work is something that you take pride in. In this increasingly disposable age, I think that's something that should be cherished. Mm. We wind our way back up to the gift shop at entrance. Fiona's here, Sam's here, and there's another bloke in the shop trying on hats. We are upstairs now, back where we started in the gift shop. And I don't know about you, but I bloody love a museum gift shop. It was the best part of any school trip. Yeah, I agree. Getting a rubber. I might get a rubber. Yeah, well, realising that actually a fridge magnet was an affordable but quirky gift. And Toby has his eye on that hat. The hat that reminds him of... His very first hat. Oh, I want him to buy the hat. Uh, there's a, there, and there are hats here. That's interesting that that hat is that is my first hat. Now, the one I bought, it was, as I say, it was in a charity shop, but it was £10, but that would have been in about 1994. So £28 in terms of inflation is probably quite reasonable. I think that's reasonable. I don't know if I'd get in trouble if I came home with a hat. Would it bring you joy? Well, it might be that it's a hat that's best left in the past. I don't know. Toby lifts it off the shelf and tries it on. Too small. Slightly too small. That's the answer. There's some good Have you got ones. more in the back? I hope there's one in the back so you can buy it. <laughs> you really want me to come <laughs> away with a hat? <laughs> While Sam looks in the back for a bigger hat, the bloke trying on the hats comes up to us and tells us that the Hatworks gift shop is one of the best places to buy a hat. If you go to a festival, it costs you 60, 70 quid. Really? Turns out this guy's a musician and hats are his thing. Like The Edge or, or like Fred Durst. You're a hat collect, hat collect, you're a Not hat. really, I'm a musician, but I wear, I like hats. Oh, oh right. And I was really taken with the museum. No? Sam comes in with a bigger size hat for Toby to try on. Is that fit? You're only one, that one. It does. Are you happy? You're what do you think? think? I like it. Does it suit? Or did it, would it have suited me in 1994 and now I'm old and I should put away childish things? There's a mirror just there. Uh, yeah, have a look. I, what do we think? It brings you joy, Toby, buy it. Oh, I do quite like that. Yeah, I like it. 
Do we think? Do we think? What about you, Mister? Is that all right? Sam, are you? Yeah. I think it looks good. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to buy a hat. Yeah. Is it tax deductible as I'm doing a podcast? Of course it is. So imagine the scene. We're in the gift shop of this museum. We've now got Hatman's attention. Fiona's listening to us. Sam's here. I had one like this. The story behind this is that this is this this is my first ever hat that I bought from a charity shop in yeah. about 1994. It was to go to a wedding, um, my sister's wedding, and and it got stolen about three or four years later from under a chair in a pub, oh. and I bought other hats to replace it, but not one like that. And coming in here and doing this, and the first thing I saw was that hat. It seemed seemed apposite. Do you want to give the hat a bit of esteem? Oh, well, if that's a service you offer, yeah. Sam Steam. Thanks. I'm going to have a steamed hat. How exciting! Oh, I'm excited for you. If you want to, you can go with Sam and see how he's steamed. Yeah. Sam steam yeah. the hat. Well, it's very nice to meet you, Hatman. What's your name? My name's Del. Hi, Del. Toby. Toby. Vic. You're going to be on the top. We follow Sam to get Toby's new hat steamed, and say bye to Hatman. Room. Actually, Del was really cool. I'd like to be cool. Brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, Del was cool. Del talking about hats was cool. That's how I imagined I would be and never am. Oh, Sam's in there. Sam's in here. We've come to watch you steam the hat, Sam. I've yeah. never seen a hat steaming before. We're backstage in Hat Works yeah. and there's lots of wooden blocks. There are lots of wooden blocks. We're actually in the millinery room of Hat Works where you can learn how to make hats. They run all sorts of courses and workshops. Just head to the Hatworks website to find out more. Oh, look, so we've got this device that's got a sort of bottle of bottle of water on it and, and then like a sort of sh- a kettle. Now, Sam's got your optimum steaming temperature and this contraption now is steaming. Give it a little bit of a brush as well. Wow, oh, we're bespoke treatment yeah, here. I don't have a hat brush. I didn't know you could get hat brushes. I mean, that's terrible. I'm, I'm, I'm a hat wearer who didn't know such a thing. I'm just a rank amateur, really. It's like, it's like these young people who say, I love Doctor Who, and then it turns out I haven't watched any of it that was made before in 2005. <laughs> so there are professional hat wearers who probably walk past me and go, look at the angle he's wearing that at. That's just that's a rookie error, that is. Yeah, he should, if he's got a licence for wearing a hat, he should have it revoked. Sam's steaming sesh is over and he hands a warm hat back to Toby. I love that. Look at that. And that is much improved in shape uh, around the top. And it's got condensation. It's got condensation on the inside. But look at that. So your hat's on top. Yeah, yeah I like it. Yeah. Strictly speaking, it's not mine yet because I'm paid for it. Oh, no. But, uh, Quick, run. <laughs> I, will go and, uh, I will go and cross their palms with silver. Thank you very much for that, Sam. That's Thanks, Sam. Above and beyond the, the call of hospitality. It's like it's like a missing piece of a jigsaw puzzle I've found. After, I'm so shocked. Uh, found down the back of the sofa after twenty years. I'm gonna I'm gonna pay for right. this hat. Okay. I didn't Thank know you. I didn't know I'd come away with property. I'm yeah. so excited you got those, a hat. Those are the best shops I've ever <laughs> Don't intend to buy something. Right. Well, thank you oh, very much. Thank you so much for being lovely. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Thank you very, thank you very much. We awkwardly leave Hatworks by both of us getting in one slice of the revolving door. Oh, shit. Oh, Sorry, that was me. Right. We shouldn't get in the same one, should no, we? No, we're in the, we're in a, the we're revolving in the... door. <laughs> and we're back on the street outside the museum in Stockport. Yeah. 
Tell me about your uh, your morning, your afternoon. Well, isn't that interesting? How funny that I've gone back to the beginning to my very first hat that started it all off. And I'd, I'd forgotten it was for my sister's wedding. I must have gone into a shop with my friend Polly to get something smart for my sister's wedding and came out with a hat that started the ball rolling. And But it's interesting how we've thought about all sorts of other things, not only the manufacture, which hadn't occurred to me at all. I thought we might be looking at the history of hats and different designs of hats but also then the, what something like this Hat Museum represent, which is a thing that if we're not careful, we're not going to have, because even though we've both very much enjoyed it, we've no, I've never, you've never been before. I've never been before. And that's a very interesting part of our psyche is that we sort of treasure stuff that we don't necessarily use, but its existence makes us feel slightly better about ourselves. And I'm not sure what I make of that. There's something as simple as a hat as well. There's something as simple as a hat, something that is, yeah, something that is, it's not necessary, although it's useful in terms of keeping your head warm, is it? but it represents so much more. If you boil many things in life down to their basics, actually they're revealed to not be that basic at all and extremely complicated and extremely eclectic and with a rich and interesting history. Something as simple as a hat. You're talking to the guy who hadn't noticed the chimney every time you come into Stockport. It's, it is actually a lesson in that we don't have to look too far to find stuff that's really, really interesting. Being a tourist on your doorstep is what all this this is about. So you recommend people to come to Hatworks in Stockport? Uh, definitely. And what lovely. And aside from that, people who work in museums are nice, aren't they? I think that's. I think that's a lovely thing. And again, Sam there, who who wasn't a hat aficionado, but has become one. And they were just very friendly, weren't they? And, and very nice. Again, on your doorstep. And I definitely recommend people to come because it's. Because it's interesting, and we only skimmed the surface. I mean, there was plenty to read that we didn't read because oh, yeah, we were yeah. broadcasting. Mm -hmm. You know, I could come again and still still learn some stuff. And as I say, I uh, I think I'd expected just an array of hats and got got a, got a lot more. And it's very nice. It's obviously very lovingly lovingly put together and preserved. Well, Toby, thank you so much for being a tourist. It's been a very great pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hats off to you. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we've inspired you to go and buy a lovely hat. Hatworks is open Tuesday to Sunday and costs just £5 per adult. And kids with an adult get in for free. Find out everything to do with Hatworks on their website. Now, Toby, you can see him every Tuesday in Manchester. He compares his own comedy night. It's called Excess Malarkey. And I love excess. It's run by a bunch of good eggs, attended by a bunch of good eggs. And it's not very often that you get to say that about a comedy club. If Tuesdays or indeed Manchester's a bit difficult for you, you can follow Toby in a non-stalkery way on his Twitter at Toby Haydoke. Or to get the non-abridged version, head to his website, tobyhaydoke.com. Oh, 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 oh. Did you enjoy your trip to Hatworks? Tell us. We're all over Twitter and Facebook. Just search Tourist Podcast. Or maybe you've taken a trip to one of the destinations we've been to as a result of listening to an episode of Tourist. Like John Cox did. He got in contact on Twitter after listening to the last episode with Deliso Chaponda. He tweeted us to say that he'd finally been in John Ryland's library after walking past it for so many years 
He took a photo, tweeted us and said he was so chuffed that he'd finally got inside it. So, again, find us on Twitter or Facebook at Taurus Podcast. You are all bloody wonderful. Thank you so much for listening. I can't wait to take you on the next trip. Your next tour guide is the awesome Jen Brister. So see you next time. And don't forget to buy a return because it's cheaper than two singles. Bye. There's always something rather appealing about leather, I have to say. (laughs)